Hello and welcome to this episode of Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're covering the episode of Season 1 of Babylon 5, Deathwalker. Uh, episode 9 of Babylon 5, uh, Season 1. So we're slowly approaching some really important episodes. Uh, but Deathwalker is a really good episode that is uh, it's sort of standalone from everything else. It has a couple of... Um, connections to future things and setups, but because it's not written by JMS or J. Michael Straczynski, it is not as connected to the ongoing arc. Um, you'll see that a lot during seasons one and season two. Um, he would uh, JMS was the showrunner, and he would give out writing assignments, uh, and these writers would go off write their own episodes and uh, from his basic ideas. And from there, they would then Im implement anything they needed to do for the ongoing arc and whatnot. It's, once again, serialized dramas in American television was not a thing yet. It was purely episodic. You would occasionally have setting continuity, so you would have particular things that would progress from episode to episode. But beyond that, it wasn't like it is nowadays, where every episode leads into the next. There is Battlestar Galactica and stuff that really drove home that idea that each episode can lead into the next, and of course Babylon 5 started it, didn't exist yet. The most you had was like, if you go over to Star Trek The Next Generation, um, everything that was going on with Worf's backstory, his decommendation, uh, the the removal of House Moog from the High Council, stuff like that, that all carried over from episode to episode. Um, you know the the Borg attacks and Picard being uh, assimilated. That that is repeatedly mentioned and brought up. So there's a setting continuity. There's this hint that things are going on in this world. Every episode we see has happened, uh, but everything sort of returns to status quo. So with this episode, you get some setup for things to come, uh, particularly with Talia. But you also get a nice standalone story by the end of uh, season two it's roughly like episode 20 ish episode 18 20 can't quite remember um jms fully takes over he no longer gives out any writing assignments and he he writes every episode of the show from seasons three and four and almost all of the episodes from season five there is one episode of season five not written by jms that is uh day of the dead which is written by the acclaimed comic book writer and novelist uh neil gaiman but beyond that, he writes every other episode. And for this, the reason for this was because as the arc was getting more and more involved, he was having a hard time giving out writing assignments to people because uh, in order to tell the story that was in his head, he had to be the one writing it. So he wrote every episode, all 22 episodes of every season from season three onwards, pretty much. So this is one of the few standalone stories not written by him because he does write some standalone episodes that are quite good this is one of the few that's not written by him that is that is really good and really solid uh but also has some connections to the future it is written by larry detilio who is a personal friend of jms and uh worked with jms previously on shows like captain power uh so the a plot is uh, has to do with uh, the titular character Jador, also known as Deathwalker. Uh, she is the last surviving member of the race known as the Dilgar, and we get some really interesting backstory, uh, world building, uh, that that really helps cement this world as a uh, the, the Babylon Five universe as a lived-in universe that has 
they had tons of history before the show started and will have tons of history after it ends uh so the the the, the entire point of uh, of the dilgar was that in the 2230s so you're, you're talking roughly 20 something years ago they started the Dilgar War by invading the non-aligned sectors, which has now formed together to form the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, and uh, they were systematically wiping them out, conquering them, and there was this war criminal called Jador, who got the name Deathwalker because she would do crazy experiments just to see what would happen. Uh, the lack of morality in scientific experimentation often leads to great advances, but at the cost of a lot of lives and how horrible that is um and then of course you you have uh humans who are brand new to the galactic spectrum and they leap in they help the, they're the only race that jumped into the dilgar war and helped stop the fighting um, and ended the war uh the dilgar war which promoted the humans up to being one of the great races of the galaxy which inevitably got them one of the being one of the top four races uh you know the narn the centauri the mimbari and now the humans uh and uh and, and, and along with that it all the dilgar were basically wiped out the what the few that survived the uh survived the war end up getting wiped out when their sun went supernova destroying the planet and the that solar system so the dilgar are a dead race and then one shows up on the station her name is jador and that that then causes the issue of people know her as Deathwalker. people want her dead for what she did her war crimes uh the the story prompt given to larry detilio by j michael Straczynski was what what would it take for us to have struck a deal with hitler and let him live you know assuming he didn't commit suicide in the bunker and the the answer was an immortality serum that is the only way that someone so despicable would receive any kind of deal from anybody and uh that that is the premise of this episode is jador in her scientific experiments with lack of morality she had no qualms killing people butchering people uh garibaldi describes an entire planet's population wiped out in a single day just to watch uh, she did that just to watch and see what would happen um that he, that she's created an immortality serum and she's using this as leverage to to strike a deal with various governments to not get herself on put on trial or executed uh, and she of course has a long longer plan that we find out later in the episode in that, in that, the fact that she, she, she not only is she using his leverage, but she's using it as a way to get revenge. That uh, she blames the humans specifically for for ending the Dilgar War, and that she's the last surviving member of the race. So, this immortality serum requires an ingredient that can only be found in living beings, and because the humans struck to deal with her, that means that in order that in order for uh, the immortality serum to work you have to kill one another for one person to gain immortality another one has to die uh, quid pro quo latin for something for something that's exactly what it is it is uh, one life for one life and so she has used this to gain herself sort of a prestige 
uh, and, and leverage to survive while also making the humans become just as monstrous as her or as she was. Uh, and as she says, you know, the, the people that were once cursed will now be looked upon as saviors. Uh, that is my monument, Commander. Uh, and, and, and she also has that, that great line of, uh, you, you condemn us, you will become us. Um, and the entire idea of immortality um, is, is an interesting concept. If Various different settings have used immortality for different reasons. You can look at it as curse. Uh, someone who's been cursed with it. Um, a great example is in the Witcher 3 DLC called Hearts of Stone, Ogird Var Everick, uh, who took the deal with the, basically the devil, was uh, had immortality, thought it was a good thing, eventually became a curse. Then you have uh, people who use immortality for a good thing, like the Immortal Man at Marvel Comics. And then you look at a more realistic setting, uh, like Babylon 5. But another great example is uh, Lazarus. It's a comic book series published by Image, created by uh, Greg Rucka and Michael Lark. Um, the, the, the idea is that uh, the, this economic elite, these rich people, uh, have taken over the world and they have, uh, they have developed a longevity serum. Uh, but they, but it only is given to select people. So, uh, the, it, it basically, it stand, it's, it stays in the hands of the rich and the powerful and never goes onwards, you know, and in, in, in the Lazarus, uh, dystopia is very much a feudal system. There are the family, you have the serfs, and you have the wastes. And the family gets the most privilege. The serfs get very little privilege, but they at least have some. And occasionally some serfs do get the longevity serum because they prove so useful to the family. And then the wastes are nothing. They're just cattle, basically. So imagine that's what the longevity serum, along with uh, economic manipulation, did to destroy that setting. Imagine... The Babylon Five universe, with that, just as Judah said, you know, you 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 will become us. That the humans would become just as monstrous as her and her people, trying to keep the immortality into the hands of the rich and the powerful. While at the same time, you have to take a life to make sure a life is immortal. It is a horrible situation and a horrible thing to think about. But that is that is the thing presented here. It is disgusting. And Garibaldi even calls this out. Um, everybody involved, Sinclair, Garibaldi, Ivanova, uh, everybody involved absolutely agrees that what she's, uh, that she's a horrible person and what this is is awful. Um, even Londo, when he has to vote no for a trial for Jador uh, during the, the ba Babylon 5 Advisory Council, uh, he 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 phrases the no in a way that implies he disagrees with voting no and when when she is killed at the end of the episode he goes well all ends that ends well uh you know so he he proves that he, almost everybody agreed that she's horrible but the, those that are in power such as people who are separate from everything like the uh, like the earth government or earth gov wanted her so that he could get immortality which of course we've been sitting of the fact that earth is not bright and shiny in the babylon 5 universe it is a very corrupt place with a lot of problems um it, and it, those problems need fixing um so and, and i think it's really interesting to have garibaldi 
specifically be so against her. He's the security chief, but he is not a lawful good kind of character. He does not. He's not the great honorable person. He he has a strict sense of morals, but he's willing to he's willing to break the law in order to uphold those morals. Um, there's an episode, it's not really spoiling because I brought it up before, there's an episode about the death penalty in season 3 uh, in which Garibaldi says, I'm an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of guy. Uh, he, he firmly believes that revenge or vengeance in a way, uh, killing someone in the name of justice, is correct. Um, now, whether you agree with him or not is entirely up to you, but he that's the kind of person he is, which makes sense why he is so against everything that's going on. Sinclair has to play ball if he wants to keep his job. Ivanova is obviously disgusted, but she's willing to play ball. Uh, Gerhard Bali just straight up goes, no, just ignore the orders. Uh, so it's a really nice touch that he just refused. He was like, no, I don't want to do this. This is disgusting. Another interesting thing about the E-plot is that uh, is that Jakar goes to Jador and is trying to negotiate to get the immortality serum, offering a deal better than what the humans were offering. And she goes, I will accept as long as you bring me the head of the person that attacked me, which of course is Natoth, his assistant. And he refuses. Once again, this entire idea that Jakar is the villain, we're only nine episodes into season one, we have been really developing Jakar as this sort of egomaniacal villain, this over-the-top kind of person, but as the episodes go on, we see more shades of gray in him and start to realize he's not that bad of a person. We saw that specifically in Mind War, in which that is exactly called out. But this is more layers added on that he was more than willing to make a deal with Jador. But the moment it involved killing someone he thought was perfectly normal and innocent, he declined. Would that be the action of someone who's evil? No, it's someone with intent to help their people albeit misguided help but uh he wants to help his people and then realizes when he would hurt someone of his people someone he's close to someone who is innocent why would he take that option once again there's there's uh, Babylon 5 is all about those shades of gray so uh i i love that the that we 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 take the overarching story of uh, Sinclair's missing 24 hours, which was, of course, a big part of the last episode, and tied into this. So Jador, the reason why she's still alive, is that she has been protected by the Wind Swords, which are part of the Mimbari warrior cast. Um, and they, we have been building on Mimbari culture, and we've got it vague since that they have a caste system and everything that was going on there, but now we've got firmly had this idea that, that the caste operate independently, uh, that, uh, the, the, and that's, that's the purpose of the Great Council. Uh, we're, we're slowly finding out more and more things that the, the caste have different ideas and different opinions, and that, that results in a sort of divided people. Uh, and it's revealed that, you know, during the Earthman Bari War, the Wind Swords came to the other castes, the religious caste and the worker caste, in it's worth noting that Delin and Lanier are both part of the religious caste, um, 
and gave them weapons cr created by Jador, which uh, then leads into one of the main themes, which is this idea of um, what would you do to ensure uh, that justice is uh, justice is blind, that justice is put out equally. Um, in the fact that the Mimbari chicken out, they they agree that Jadur is an evil evil person, but they have a lot of shame because they accepted the weapons during the Earth Mimbari War. And uh, to quote Lanier, just like all secrets long kept, we cannot bear the shame of revealing it now. Um, so the the th that neatly ties in, but. It, we also get the, the, the obligatory line from Jador where she's like, there's a hole in your mind, implying that not only the wind swords were the wind swords protecting, uh, protecting her, but they are the ones that sent the assassin way back in, uh, in The Gathering, the pilot TV movie. Um, so, and in, in speaking of Lanier, before I move on to the B-plot, is, um, is that there's this way he talks... Uh, Bill Mummy, uh, who you may recognize as the original Will Robinson from uh, Lost in Space, uh, plays Lanier excellently throughout the rest of the series. Uh, but early Lanier is very fascinating because he's fresh out of the temple. He's an academic. Uh, all he's ever known is a book life. Uh, and so he's very nervous and shy around people. He talks like an encyclopedia. Uh, there's a there's a moment where Sinclair is trying to ask him for information, and Lanier just rattles off stuff like it's a book, like he's reciting from a dictionary. And uh, Sinclair has to roll his eyes at that because he's so used to talking to the Lynn, who gives him, while sometimes vague answers, at least she's straightforward and gets to the point with it. So it is very fascinating uh, to see the way he's playing. And of course, Lanier will develop a lot over the next five seasons. Um, but early Lanier is very fascinating because we can see the person he's going to become, but he's just not that that mature yet. Um, and another real quick thing before I move on to the B-plot is that there's some interesting historical parallels. During and just after World War II, um, there was a uh, there was a, a operation called Opera uh, uh, Project Paperclip, or, or Operation Paperclip, which was done by the Joint Intelligence Objectives Agency. And the idea was to smuggle Nazi scientists from the Axis powers to the U.S. to help develop new technology and new weaponry. Um, many of these people were affiliated with the Nazi party in some way, or in some cases, actual leaders of various parts of the Nazi party. They were, n some of them, not great people, obviously, being Nazis. But we were, but the U.S. was more than willing to play ball with them and give them a deal as long as they helped them develop new technology, new weaponry. Um, not exactly the greatest thing to do, but it is something that is historically important. And of course, this plays into that, where Earth is more than willing to give a deal to basically space Hitler to get a new piece of technology, the immortality serum. Now, I will talk about what the Vorlons do at the end of the episode in the spoiler section because of some plot points that will come up later. Um, and so, But basically, at the end of the episode, Jador is... Uh, everybody uh, debates what to do with her. She eventually gets released to go to Earth. Uh, several of the non-aligned world's members protest this. They send warships. 
everybody kind of just they, they 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 manage to negotiate a peace. Sinclair negotiates to uh, that after she goes to Earth and gives the formula for the immortality serum, she will then be put on trial, handed over to the non-aligned worlds, and put on trial. Uh -huh. And whether that leads to her execution or imprisonment or whatnot is entirely up to the non-aligned worlds. Uh, which is a fine deal. But then, as she's about to head, go into the Trump Gate to go to Earth, the Vorlons jump in, kill her. Uh, and Kosh says, you are not ready for immortality. This will be covered in the spoiler section. I will cover the B-plot as brief as I can because I can't talk much about it without going to spoilers. So, the B-plot involves Talia Winters, the um, rated P5 commercial telepath on the station that we haven't seen a great deal of. Um, Kosh comes to her and says, I need you to uh, conduct business. Uh, and he has that great line of, we shall meet at the hour of scampering. And he's like, what does that mean? And of course, it, this is the show that the Florlons are vague and strange with their answers and are kind of detached from everything. And she goes there, and there's this person that, uh, called Abbott, who she can't read his mind uh, at all. And she's trying to figure out why she's there, what's the point of this. And then Abbott and Kosh have a discussion that is completely meaningless. They talk in abstractions, in vague metaphors. And uh, there's a great line in there uh, that will that will become important for later, but I just want to say this in the non-spoiler section. I'll get into what it means in the spoiler section, um, but it, understanding is a three-edged sword. And, and it, it, it's stuff like that. So things that don't make any sense unless you know the context behind them. And then uh, she starts getting random flashbacks. Uh, we, see, we see her in a room uh where there's flashing light and some computer deals i will get into that in spoilers uh and then we see that she was uh that uh she was attacked while uh, while reading someone's mind at one point and this mind was a serial killer and she talks about that at the end that it was one of the most horrifying experiences that she ever had that she had to get into this mind of this killer uh to uh to find out what was going on and he, she still has nightmares about it to this day and why why does she keep getting these random flashes and we find out that abbott is actually um a really dated joke he is a vicar which is a very 90s joke that does not apply to modern audiences anymore. Uh, he is a VCR, or Vicar for short. It, he's a cyber organic, he's a cyborg that is there to record information. Records it on a data crystal, removes it, gives it the kosh. Um, the Vicar joke is actually really clever and really funny, but it does not play for modern audiences. Um, you know, VCRs were already outdated by the time I, uh, you know, was a child. Uh, I happen to have a VCR, which is why I know what they are, but some people uh, my age have never seen a VCR in their life. Uh, so the, uh, bearing in mind that I'm 22. It's, it's this odd thing where it's, it's a very clever joke, but it also really dates this show because the show is made in the 90s and sometimes has very 90s sensibilities when it comes to portraying certain things or jokes or pop culture references. And that that is one of them that really dates it, but it's very clever if you know about it. Uh, and then Kosh uh, takes the data crystal and he says a line that is very important. When Talia asks what is on the, the data crystal, he goes, reflection, surprise, 
terror for the future. And of course the B-plot is just sort of left off there. We have no idea what's going on. Everybody's kind of confused. Uh, and Sinclair hints that maybe the Vorlons are trying to get information about telepaths they don't know. Uh, but that Kosh did play her in some way. So very interesting A-plot, B-plot. They don't really relate to each other, uh, except about what people are hiding, I suppose. Um, but I will get into spoilers now, so spoiler warning. Let's talk about the B-plot, because that is pretty much everything that I have in the spoiler section is in regards to the B-plot, with the exception of the immortality serum. But I will touch the B-plot first, because that is the most important um, aspect. Of course, this is Kosh preparing for the future, as he says. He's recording Talia's personality because he knows very well that Talia is control, that she has another personality laying dormant in her that is called control, and it was put into her by Psychor. And that uh, eventually she will, uh, she will be activated, and the Talia uh, personality, her real personality, will be destroyed and taken over by control which is a new personality. So he is trying to record what her, what personality, uh, her current personality, in order to hopefully be able to give her back her personality when they save her from the psychor. Now, this is both followed through on and not followed through on all at the same time. In the episode in season two called Divided Loyalties, where we find out that Control is Talia, uh, which we've had several hints of at this point, uh, and in the future, uh, Garibaldi will remember telling him about this situation and realizes they can use that data crystal to get Talia's personality back. Here's the problem. Andrea Thompson leaves the show after season two, which means we'll never get a follow through. There is a line from Bester in season three saying that she was dissected uh, as a result of the advanced power she got from uh, Mind War, uh, gifted to her by Ironheart. But, but, um, it is not is never truly followed on through as a result of her leaving so there's this this it, just like when i was talking about in the spoiler section mind war where this there's this setup that has a payoff but it's not quite the payoff you expect because of the trapdoor mentality that jms had to use for actors and actresses leaving uh so it it's a fascinating setup of fascinating B-plot. You, you're just sitting at the edge of seat. What the hell is Kosh doing? You know, kind of thing. Of course, as in the future, we know, but it's never truly followed up on, sadly. Um, and and, and to speaking of the, the, you know, the, the entire ordeal with, uh, uh, w with Kosh and Abbott and Talia is that in the flashbacks, we see her being turned, or the control personality being planted into her, that, that machine where it's clearly brainwashing. Uh, it, it, that's what's happening to her. Uh, and the audience has no idea what the hell's going on. It's just as trippy and bizarre as the rest of this entire B-plot has been. But uh, this show rewards you for paying attention. And if you think about it, that's clearly some sort of brainwashing technique so subliminal messaging so maybe something's going on there of course she turns out to be control so there that was something legitimately going on uh the other bit that i have to talk about is in, in the uh a plot um is there's actually two things we get a mention of senator hidoshi we even see him he's going to be a reoccurring politician for season one uh we'll see him a couple more times uh, and he's kind of, he's a pro-Babylon 5 
representative, but uh, he has to make concessions to in order to keep his job, basically. And we know that he uh, that that he agrees with a lot of Sinclair's ideas. In season two, in the episode "And Now for a Word," he will be uh, he will be quoted as former Senator Hidoshi, implying that he was kicked out as a result of being. Um, uh, being very pro B five because by season two, EarthGov is not is not is not pro B five. Um, matter of fact, the, I I mentioned this last episode where we get the the newspaper clipping about budget cuts, uh, a balancing a budget, and then next season that episode and now for a word is literally about them trying to figure out whether they need to cut Babylon 5's budget or not. Uh, so him being pro B5 will get him knocked out of the political arena. The final thing I have to talk about in regards to anything spoilers in the A plot is uh, is why the Vorlons killed Jador. Uh, they kill her and say you are not ready for immortality. Um, the Vorlons are immortal. They're part of the first ones. Uh, they they I mean they they can be killed. Uh, but they they essentially live forever. So, uh, they they are shepherding the younger races to be very much like them. As we'll see in the episode "Deconstructing Falling Stars," but we have gotten hints of, as of Mind War a few episodes back, that humans will eventually become uh, a non-corporeal beings, much like the Vorlons are, and basically be immortal. They, and we'll even have encounter suits much like the Vorlons, implying that we will essentially become the Vorlons. Uh, and it, to quote a future line of, uh, well, technically it's already been said uh, by Ironheart, of I, see, I will see you in a million years. That is when humans eventually become the new first ones, become the new Vorlons that are non-corporeal, immortal, and are shepherding the younger races. So... The Vorlons know what's going to happen, knows what's that needs to be done, and are also uh, attempting to keep us in check so that we are obedient to them. Um, so they believe you are not ready for immortality, uh, that no one's ready for immortality because you are not fully obedient to them yet. In the moment you get immortality, there's a chance that you could become just as powerful as them. Not on a technological level, but you at least have some of their advantage. Some of their advantage is sort of taken away, becomes normal. Uh, and the Vorlons and the Shadows are both very much about per their perception, their ability to intimidate you into obedience or conflict in order to, to deal with them. That's what they're all about. So that's why they killed Jador, is to ensure that they still remain on top so that we will listen to them, so that they will be our parents. Because the entire idea, understanding is the three-edged sword, your side, their side, and the truth. That the Vorlons and the Shadows are bickering over the galaxy, over the lesser races, um, like parents. To, you, you cloak Sheridan from season four. You, you, you're like a couple of parents fighting in front of their children, not for their benefit, but for yours, forcing them to take a side. But what if we choose not to take a side? What if we decide the What if we choose to stand on our own? And that is that is what's being set up is because if you if we have immortality, part of the Vorlon's advantage or part of the, what makes them mysterious and strange and superior to us is taken away. 
and we're not ready for that because the Vorlons don't want to be seen that way. They want us to be obedient, no matter what. It's obedience to the barrel of a gun. There you go. That is Deathwalker. Pretty good episode. Very standalone, but has some nice, real, uh, nice hints to ongoing stuff, which is quite rare for a non-JMS pinned episode. Um, and next episode is another another non-JMS episode. It's going to be written by uh, David Gerald, who was the famous Star Trek writer of of. Uh, the Trouble with Tribbles, way back at TOS. It's called Believers. Uh, some people like this episode, some people hate this episode. It's very standalone, has next to nothing to do with any ongoing plot. So I'll be very interested to see what I have to say on it this watch. Uh, but see you then. <laughs>